Hey, fantasy football fans, week one is in the book. Well, a little disclaimer right now, week one isn't in the book. I'm filming or recording this on Monday night. It's about 6 p.m. Pacific time, so you can't hear it or see it, but muted in the background is the Minnesota Vikings versus Saints game. And, uh, Sammy Biscuits is dropping some dimes in this game. What just happened, the third quarter just started. The Vikings just kicked another field goal. I believe they went up 19-3 to now on the Saints. So the Saints are really struggling in this one. Sam Bradford was the quarterback stream of the week. That was the call of the week. And it's looking like it's going to play out pretty well. We will see tomorrow morning. And you guys will know the outcome by the time you're listening to this on Tuesday morning. I want to say quickly that, thankfully, it seems like most of the damages from Hurricane Irma are past us. It seems to be below a Category 1 hurricane or in the Category 1 hurricane realm. So I know my sister is down in Miami. She went up to PCB for safety and all of the rest of the guys, PK Ripper, one of my dudes, I hope everybody is safe. I hope everyone's belongings are still there. And between those two hurricanes down in Florida and Texas, there's just just been destruction across the nation. So everybody, I know J.J. Watt raised over $30 People have been donating to the Red Cross, but everyone just please try to give out a helping hand to help these people put their lives back together. That being said, let's get into some football. My official week one DFS advice was to pass on week one DFS. And I know that is the worst advice you could hear because everybody is amped for football to be back. But it seemed to be the correct advice because who would have guessed Tariq Cohen was the best running back? Did anyone have Tariq Cohen in their DFS? Did anyone play Tariq Cohen in season long? No. Week one was a shit show. As I said it would be, we actually had, after Sam Bradford's two touchdowns tonight and whatever else happens in the second half and the LA Chargers versus the Broncos game, there were 46 offensive touchdowns in week one. That is compared to 73 last season, so touchdowns on the offensive side were down. We had some standout weeks from defensive teams like the Steelers, the Jaguars, and the Rams. So those were clear winners if you are streaming defenses or had the Jaguars in a surprise game where I was really pulling for the Texans in that one. I thought that city really needed a win, but the Jaguars dominated, and Leonard Fournette looked like the real deal. Let's start with going around with some news around the league. So mainly looking at injuries. And the first one is a big one. David Johnson dislocated his wrist. He's seeing a wrist specialist today. They already advised that he goes under the knife. So he is most likely to hit the IR designated to return. It's about an eight-week procedure at the minimum. So that's when he would be able to come back is looking like week nine. Again, he could potentially play next week. So rule number one, I do what I want. But the real rule here, do not drop David Johnson. Do not overreact to this. 
But what I will say is do not waste a waiver wire priority or fab money on Kerwin Williams. They just signed DJ Foster off the Patriots practice squad. They're still considering bringing Chris Johnson in and Andre Ellington will be in on most passing downs. So that's going to be a running back by community. Big loss for fantasy losing David Johnson for however long he's out though. Let's keep moving through to Chicago. Kevin White will be on the IR for his third consecutive season. He broke a collarbone. This is his third consecutive year with his season ending to a fracture. It's very unlikely he comes back. Allen Robinson down in Jacksonville. He tore his ACL. He is out for the year. And to make matters worse, Robbie Bortles... I'm not calling him Blake anymore. His real name's Robbie. Robbie Bortles comes over, tries to show the wide receiver some support, just slaps his left knee with with the torn ACL. It doesn't get any better than that. A classic Bortles moment. Uh, some rare good news. Uh, per Ian Rappaport, Ezekiel Elliott will not be on the commissioner's exempt list, so it is most likely that he plays all 16 games this season. That being said, the appeal could happen this year. So Ezekiel Elliott is not in the clear completely. You still have to worry about him, but it seems like it's good news. This is an injury, but after making all of his uh, weight restrictions, Eddie Lacy looked just terrible out there. I can't see any reason to keep him, especially with Rawls likely to come back. Pete Carroll said Rawls will play week two, but if you listen to me, you know you do not listen to anything that Pete Carroll says regarding injuries. Moving forward, I want to give an official apology to everyone for Jameson Crowder. I really liked his matchup going into this week. Apparently, his hip was not as healthy as I thought it was. He was active during the game, but he really did not produce. I'm sorry. Jameson Crowder should be good for the season going forward, but that week one, bad call on my part. I apologize. Moving forward, Andrew Luck has already been ruled out of week two, and with the Carson Palmer, I believe he threw three interceptions, had four or five turnovers altogether. That matchup between the Cardinals and the Colts will be one for the ages. That's going to be a really embarrassing game across all fronts. Andrew Luck out week two. Uh, Let's pay a little attention to the Thursday matchup because I don't think I was able to cover this officially. Danny Amendola, despite being the leader in targets and catches on the Patriots, he was concussed, so he is likely going to be out for a couple weeks. And Eric Berry... You know he tore that or tore that Achilles, so he is out for the season. Robert Gronkowski had a very down game. We can attribute that to Eric Berry's suffocating defense. So Gronk should be good going forward. I will go through the positions later. Uh, moving forward, uh, yep, uh, Benny Cunningham, the Bears running back, had an ankle injury. He was carted off, so. Tariq Cohen, he had that amazing game, but Benny Cunningham was out. Tariq Cohen might not see that type of workload all season. And the Texans' tight ends, every single one of them got a concussion. 
I don't think they will have a tight end for their Thursday night matchup, so that's going to be another one to stay away from. But Nuke Hopkins, I love him this week. Play Nuke Hopkins in every format. Uh, Danny Woodhead had a hamstring injury, non-contact. He went down. It's believed that that was the same hamstring that was that he suffered during the preseason that had him out. So it looks like it was that was a re-injury, and we don't know if we'll see him back. He's on the wrong side of 32, turning 33 this season. That could be a, a career ender, unfortunately. Uh, Caleb Sturgis. The Eagles kicker is out for about four weeks with a hip. And then one thing I want to point out is Scott Barrett's actual opportunity metric. It was a metric that values touches and where you are on the field. So a goal line rush gets X amount of points, whereas a rush on your own 20, that's that's not going to be as... You don't expect as many points from that. So the leaders for week one in actual opportunity... And some of them didn't really work out, but they had the ability to get those points. They just didn't come through. Uh, number one, Amari Cooper. Number two, Nuke Hopkins. Number three, Des Bryant. Number four, Larry Fitz. And number five, Terrell Pryor. So those guys got the opportunities. They didn't pay out most of them. Cooper did score. Nuke did score. So those, those guys did all right. The rest of them, Larry Fitz, he got targeted 13 times, but he just, he didn't come through. He had a great matchup on paper, but the Cardinals, they just didn't look like they were all there. So that is the news. This is going to be a quick episode where I'm going to go through the standouts from week one. I'm going to tell you who I believe to be the real deal and who I do not believe can sustain that type of production and of the people that really struggled, who had really poor games and who we look to bounce back. First, let's take a listen to our sponsor and get the bills paid. I want to thank everyone in advance. We'll be back in a couple seconds. Take a listen. Thank you for that. To start off, I want to start with the DraftKings billion dollar lineup. I don't believe anybody won it, unfortunately, but here it is. At quarterback, it was Matt Stafford. He scored 28 points and he was about $6,100. Uh, it ended up being three running backs with one going in the flex. Tariq Cohen scored 25.3 points. Remember, DraftKings is full PPR. And that was on a $3,000 budget. I believe he was the cheapest possible option. Leonard Fournette had a great game. He was $5,700, so still pretty cheap. And he put up 24.4 points. And LaShawn McCoy was the ideal flex play. For 8,200, he put up 23.9. We're going to speed this up a little bit. Kenny Galladay and Golden Tate, both lines were your receivers of choice. Going for 36 and $6,500 respectfully. Obviously, Golden Tate was the more expensive one. And Antonio Brown, he didn't get in the end zone, but he had an amazing day. I think it was 11 catches, 182 yards. And he was really the only good player in that in that Steelers game for the Steelers, other than a Jesse James, who I doubt anyone played. 
And that being said, Jesse James had two touchdowns, but Austin Hooper was the DraftKings' optimal play for 3,000. He scored 23 points. And sorry, I'll go back. Antonio scored 32, Golden Tate 24, Kenny Galladay 23 just about. And then the Jaguars defense for $3,700 got you 28 points. Those are the DraftKings' optimal lineup. That was the billion-dollar lineup, and now let's get into our tight ends from week one. Real quickly, before we get started, I'm going to do a little pyro pro- promo here. If you want to reach me on Twitter, follow me at pyro underscore heartbeat. That's P-Y-R-O underscore H-A-R-T-B-E-A-T. I, I go on there, and I'll, I'll answer most of your questions. I'm pretty good about that. Or also, if you are a Pyro Pro member, you can send us second opinion questions on the Pyromaniac website where we guarantee that we go in and get back to you on start, sit, waiver wire, ad drops. I mean, just any type of question you could ever possibly think of, we get back to you 100% of the time. So I'm also contributing on that along with uh, D-Rex, Stag Party, and Houdini. So go over there, check that out, become a Pyro Pro member. And that'll do it for the Pyro Promo. So starting off at tight ends, Jesse James had the most points in standard scoring. And I'm looking at ESPN ownership. If you want me to go over something like CBS or Yahoo, hit me up and I'll include it on the docket. For today, it's just ESPN. Jesse James led the way with 22. Austin Hooper, 20.8. Jason Witten had a nice 18.9. Zach Ertz, 17. And then following up them was Charles Clay, Delaney Walker, Jared Cook, Demetrius Harris, Travis Kelsey, CJ Fedorowicz, Jordan Reed, Evan Engram, Seth, Seth Devolve, Zach Miller, and George Kittle were all the relevant tight ends scoring over 7.5 fantasy points on ESPN. And sorry, I said standard. This is PPR fantasy points. So my apologies. PPR fantasy points. So let's look at some of the, the low ownership guys. Jesse James is currently being owned in only 5% of the leagues. With Vance McDonald going on to that team, I'm not 100% sure that he is going to be their tight end one for the entire season. So I don't think it's necessary to add him. Martavis, Brian, and Le'Veon Bell also had a really down game. So we expect their production to go up. We'll get to them later. Austin Hooper, though, he is owned in 33.7% of leagues right now. You have to go pick this guy up. Hooper is basically going to be a high-end tight end, too. We don't expect him to get this output on just two targets on a weekly basis, but he's a high-end tight end to play with touchdown upside. He needs to be owned in a lot more leagues, probably all of them. Jason Witten is owned in 64% of the leagues, so he's likely not out there, but especially with Des Bryant having these tough matchups, Jason Witten is going to be the main benefactor there. He's going to continue to have strong games, and Zach Ertz, Debatably had the best game among tight ends this week. He went 8 for 8 for 93 yards with no scores. I think he'll have some touchdowns upcoming. But as I said, Doug Peterson loves passing two running backs and tight ends. Zach Ertz is going to be the target leader in that offense, most likely. And some Darren Sproles is going to be sprinkled in. 
but Ertz is really the guy to own in that in that passing attack. Charles Clay is another guy that's not really owned that much. Only in less than 7% of leagues does he own. And Charles Clay was a guy that a lot of you were asking about streaming. He was definitely a good play. He paid off with a nice touchdown on four. He had four catches, but he got nine targets. So Tyrod Taylor, not really known for passing the ball that often, more of a running quarterback. But without Sammy Watkins there... Who knows? Charles Clay could slide into that deep threat role. And I believe uh, Mike Taglier out there had a stat, I believe, over the last five games. Clay, or yeah, sorry, Charles Clay has been a tight end one the last five games that he has played with Tyrod Taylor. Delaney Walker is going to continue to be a, a lower end tight end one who has the high target var- not sorry not high target variance high target volume on a weekly basis he's Mary- Marcus Mariota's guy uh, and as Corey Davis develops he's going to continue to be that guy I expect his volume to decrease a little bit throughout the season as these wide receivers get more into the game plan but Delaney Walker is a tight end one, and he'll continue to be for the whole season. Jared Cook surprised us, catching all five of his targets. But he's owned in 15%. I expect them, based on all those Amari Cooper drops, to target Michael Crabtree a little bit higher. And Jared Cook, he's he's a tight end too. So if you want to roster two tight ends and not stream them, Jared Cook's an okay guy to play based on the matchup. But... I'm not going to say you need to go out and grab Jared Cook. Demetrius Harris outscored Travis Kelsey at the tight end position. Who would have guessed that? He had uh, 9.5 fantasy points because of a touchdown. He only had two targets. These could be the only points Demetrius Harris scores this week. And Travis Kelsey is going to be a great guy to own. He had eight targets in this game actually sorry he had seven targets he had one carry against the Patriots and he put up 9.4 fantasy points if you watch this game you could tell that the Patriots were clearly trying to take Travis Kelsey out of the game so despite game planning against Travis Kelsey he still put up a tight end one game at tight end nine overall CJ Fedoritz As I went over, he has a concussion. He's likely not going to be playing in week two, but he's a guy that you should own, owned in only 3.4% of leagues. Jordan Reed, he's owned everywhere. He should have a bounce-back game. He had eight targets, and he caught five of them for only 36 yards. Look, Kirk Cousins really sucked in this game. I'm just going to say it. He does have truthers out there. Kirk Cousins should be able to turn it around, but he looked awful in this game. Jordan Reed should see better production, even if those target numbers don't really go much higher. Look, the Redskins really just did not have a good game. I don't have any problem with playing Jordan Reed going forward. He was still the tight end 11 this week, pending these guys like Rudolph and... uh, Fleener actually is making some catches out there. But Evan Engram came up next. He had 8.4 fantasy points. And in week one for a rookie tight end, he proved that if Odell Beckham does miss any more games, he's a good guy to go out and get. They're going to use him. Sterling Shepard looked like the main 
weapon in that offense, but I couldn't even watch that game. Like, the Giants were... The Giants looked like a JV football team out there compared to the Cowboys, and the Cowboys didn't really look crazy good. And the Giants have relatively owned the Cowboys, but the Cowboys... I mean, the Giants, they did not look good. I don't really like anyone on their team when Odell Beckham is not playing. Odell Beckham really the only guy I want to start on a consistent basis this year. And finishing it up, Seth Devolve had five targets. He turned that into 8.2 fantasy points. He is the, the tight end to own in, in Cleveland. He could have a couple nice games, but he's not going to be a consistent starter. You should be able to pick him up on the waiver wire anytime. He is only owned in 0.01% of ESPN leagues. And Zach Miller owned in only 1.5% of fantasy leagues on ESPN. He put up 7.9 points. And especially with Kevin White going down, I expect him to see a lot of targets this year. He had six in this game. I expect that to be the floor for him. So Zach Miller, a great guy to own. And we'll just say George Kittle in San Fran. He also had six targets. And he caught five of them for a little over seven fantasy points. He could be a sneaky guy to go out there and get because they traded away Vance McDonald because they believe in him. So George Kittle could be an okay guy to go out and stream. But let's move on to our wide receivers. Just one quick clarification. I don't think you need to go out and use a waiver wire priority on any of those tight ends but wait till waivers clear and then you can pick up one of those low owned guys they're not going to be consistent it's a touchdown dependent position despite the lack of offensive touchdowns you don't need to waste maybe austin hooper you might want to use a waiver wire just him though looking at the wide receivers antonio brown led the way he had 182 yards on 11 catches And he caught all 11 of his targets there. He's a beast. He's an every week starter. You don't even have to think any more about it, Antonio Brown. Second was Tyreek Hill. He played on Thursday night. He had seven catches on eight targets and one long touchdown. I said he's a tie weekly starter. So Tyreek, he's so fast that people just, he's matchup proof. He will have the dud games, but... 26.8 points in week one. I can't really justify not starting him. Third was Kenny Galladay. So he had two touchdowns. He only had seven seven targets. So he had seven targets, four catches for 69. Galladay is only owned in 7.8% of ESPN leagues. So that's going to come roaring up. I think he needs to be owned in basically all leagues. But we can't expect this on a weekly basis. Golden Tate is going to be the main producer there. And there was a really bad game from Eric Ebron, so we don't have to look any more into that. But Kenny Galladay should be owned almost across the board. Golden Tate had 107 yards on 10 catches. He, he was targeted 12 times. This is not going to come down. This is basically this is the prototypical Golden Tate game. He's probably going to see five touchdowns, five or six touchdowns this year. He's going to be a high-target guy. This is exactly what you expect for Golden Tate. You don't want to expect it every week, but he's basically a weekly wide receiver two definite starter. 
Jordy Nelson came in at fifth with his 7 for 79 and a touchdown. Jordy's an every week starter. You likely drafted him in the first round. Don't need to think about that. And now six, Nelson Aguilar. He scored on a pretty fluky blown coverage play. But what I want to point to is that uh, that swing pass. He came into motion towards uh, towards Wentz. He turned around. They snapped the ball and ran a little swing play out to him. That should have been another touchdown. He's their slot receiver, and they showed that they're going to go to him. I think that he should be owned but not started weekly. Owned in almost every league. I'm not sold on Alshon Jeffrey. I'm not sold on Torrey Smith being anything more than a deep threat. He could lead that wide receiver core in targets. So Nelson Aguilar, I like. Who I like even more, DeAndre Hopkins. He only had 55 yards, but he was targeted 16 times based on these numbers. And 12 of them were from Deshaun Watson. Both of them are products of Clemson. Deshaun Watson is going to target him heavily if he gets the start in week two. Deshaun Watson will get the start at some point. Tom Savage just looked awful out there. Nuke is still not... He still didn't produce enough where you could consider buying him somewhat low. But I think he's worth going out and grabbing in almost every format. And he's going to be a good DFS play moving forward. He scored a touchdown in this one. 16 targets led the way, though. And then Cooper Cup came in as a top 10 wide receiver off his touchdown. He only caught the ball four times, but he went over 75 yards. He had 76 total. And I think Cup should be owned in all leagues. He's probably going to lead them in catches this year. Don't expect Jared Goff to throw for over 300 yards in every game, though. His average last year was 131 yards once he began the starter. So I'm not buying Jared Goff yet, but I am buying Cooper Cup in these plus matchups. Now, wide receiver number nine, Randall Cobb. And I was... I was preaching Randall Cobb's name all offseason. I'm patting myself on the back for this call because he saw 13 targets. He's he's Aaron Rodgers' go-to guy. He's the guy who you see catching all the Hail Marys. He's the one in broken plays who he looks for. He's going to be this is going to be another 100 catch season for Randall Cobb unless he gets injured. I really like him. If you're if people in your if you don't if you didn't get him I think you should still go and try to get him. If you are the Devontae Adams owner, I would suggest trading trading Devontae Adams for Randall Cobb straight up. I think he's going to have a better year, and you're just going to have to eat that that draft capital. I do think Devontae Adams will have some better games and see the end zone, but Randall Cobb, based on his draft capital, he's the guy to own in Green Bay. Obviously, he's never going to surmount Jordy Nelson, but Randall Cobb, I'm patting myself on the back. Amari Cooper leading the league in drops this week. He only had five catches despite being targeted 13 times. I think he had the lowest catch percentage of any eligible receiver. It was 38%. So he did score. He looked strong in the beginning, but then he just tailed off at the end. I think they're going to heavily target Crabtree now. Carr's going to look Crabtree's way. They, they tried out Cooper. There's still going to be a couple more games, but he kind of proved to me that he's not a consistent red zone threat. 
it's his third season, third year season, but uh, I just don't see it for Amari Cooper. He's gonna be he's a, he's gonna be a weekly start, but I don't see him having that high upside. Then Corey Coleman, he had a touchdown. He had five catches for fifty three. I think he's the wide receiver to own in Cleveland if there is one. Kenny Britt is in the news. Hugh Jackson does not know if Kenny Britt is going to be a starting wide receiver there. So, I mean, that, that, that's kind of twofold. You could go two directions. Either they think Josh Gordon could potentially be coming back, so he would be reinstated, and then they would let him back onto the team. They'd accept him back. Or they could just straight up cut Kenny Britt because he's on the books for $5 million this year. And they, they prove they don't really care about that. They, they have cap space. They cut Brock Osweiler, and they ate that contract. So I don't see any reason why they wouldn't cut Kenny Britt, too. Likely, they'll look for trade partners first, if that is the decision they decide to go with. But Corey Coleman, he's the guy to own in Cleveland. Danny Amendola had a nice game, too. 100 yards on six catches. He got a concussion, as I said. But he's good. he's a good guy to own when he's active. He's going to be a low DFS play. He could be a frustrating week-to-week guy. But he's filled that Julian Edelman role. But, I mean, he, Amendola, he's proven he's like glass. Coming up next is J.J. Nelson. And to speed things up, I'm just going to go over the guys I highlighted for either being very low-owned or not producing how they should have. So J.J. Nelson, he's owned in 3.9% of leagues. He's really the fourth fiddle if David Johnson is there. Uh, John Brown, he's going to be their primary receiver, and Larry Fitz. Andre Ellington, I think, could play a big role in the passing game in lack of David Johnson, too. But J.J. Nelson, he scored on five catches. He only had six targets. They were playing from behind. That could happen pretty often this season without David Johnson. Russell Shepard is another guy. He's owned in 0.1% of the leagues. He had 13.3 PPR points. With only two targets, I don't think he should be owned anywhere. I think this is a fluke week from him. But owned in only 2% of leagues is the Jets' Jermaine Curse. He really stood out in that passing game. I know Ardarius Stewart got that touchdown. I forget if it was called a touchdown or if he stepped out. I believe he was he stepped out on like the two, diving in. But Jermaine Curse is the guy to own, if anyone, in that Judd's passing attack. He had nine targets. Corey Davis had a strong game. Ten targets, 69 yards on six catches. Uh, Terrence Williams is another guy. He's owned in less than 3% of leagues. Dez has a really tough schedule. They're going to target the other guys. They're going to target Beasley. They're going to target Williams. Williams was a benefactor in this one. He had 68 on six catches. He had seven targets. That's enough to be a streaming option. Moving down a little further, Shepard, or sorry, Sterling Shepard, he had eight targets, caught seven of them for 44. That Giants passing attack looked terrible without OBJ. So... OBJ's the guy to own. Sterling Shepard, he looked okay. You could think about starting him, but not advised. Mohamed Sanu, he scored 0.1 more point than Julio Jones. He out-targeted Julio Jones 9-5. to I don't think that's going to happen again this season. He, he might out-target him, but I don't think he's going to outproduce him again this season. 
He was the 29th wide receiver in 16.9% of the leagues. I don't really think you need to go out and get him, but that number should come up. Do not use a waiver claim on him. Moving down a little further, the last guy I'm going to point out is Paul Richardson. Owned in only 3.2% of ESPN leagues. He needs to be owned in a lot more. He was their wide receiver in one wide receiver sets. He is a freak athlete. He is worth a waiver claim. I'll say that. He's worth a waiver claim because Doug Baldwin dealt with some injury in this one. Doug Baldwin had four catches for 63 on only four targets. Paul Richardson saw more targets. He saw seven. If Doug Baldwin is inactive for a week, Paul Richardson is going to have a huge game. So you can go out and use a waiver on Paul Richardson. Scrolling down a little more, I'm going to point out some of these guys that just did not produce. Starting with Eric Decker, he only had four fantasy points. He dropped what looked like a a nice big gainer from Mariota. Um, I'm not that high on Decker. I think he's going to... Your confidence in Decker is going to fluctuate based on the matchup, and I don't think he's necessarily needs to be owned. You should maybe look to trade him, but I'd wait till he has a touchdown or a multi-touchdown game to sell high on him. Chris O. Hogan only had one catch for eight yards. That's going to come up. The Patriots offense looked terrible. Kelvin Benjamin had only one catch for 25 yards. He did so on five targets. That's that's not going to happen again. They just they completely dominated the 49ers. They didn't even need to send out their offense in the second half. Their, their special teams could have taken care of that punting every time. I expect he'll have a higher floor, but he's looking to be more like a wide receiver three than on that wide receiver two-three border. Going forward, Martavis Bryant only had two catches for 14 yards. Look, Martavis Bryant sat out a year. He is going to have really, really great games this year. Just give him some time to get back into the flow of things. We all expected bigger things from him. We're a little disappointed, but don't overreact to Martavis right now. Zay Jones, he was targeted on the first play of the game in Buffalo, and he ended with only one catch. So disappointing start to his career. A guy who who D-Rex called an instant Hall of Famer. He's going to need to do a little bit more to get into the Hall of Fame. Allen Robinson, Kevin White, they're down here. Uh, 2.7, 2.6 points. We don't need to go over them anymore because they are both likely out for the season. Jameson Crowder, I apologize before, he had three catches for 14 yards. That's just not what you want to see out there. He had seven looks. He had seven targets. So, I mean, he was looked at. It was just a bad game for that Redskins offense. And Kenny Britt is a potential cut, as I said before. He only had one catch for 13 yards. That's not what you want to see from him. I mean, you. I would hold on to him because if he does move teams, that would likely be a better situation, especially for him. But he's, he's going to ride your bench until he can prove it in Cleveland. Brandon Marshall, very disappointing. One catch for 10 yards. Uh it's going to be in question. You can consider cutting Marshall. You're going to want to hold on to him. See how, see what he can do with OBJ on the field, but you really don't like to see one for 10 from Brandon Marshall. Now, Mike Wallace was one for eight. He only had one target. This Ravens team, they were up 17-0, at least going into halftime. He's going to have a good season, Mike Wallace. 
Jeremy Macklin only had two catches, one for a touchdown. Those Ravens pass catchers, Wallace and Macklin, I think now's a good time to go out and try to get them cheap. Maybe Wallace even hits the waiver wire, getting dropped this week. You want to go out and grab him for sure. That is going to do it for our wide receivers. We're going to take a quick break, listen to our sponsor, and then we're going to dive into running backs. All right. Thank you, guys. Welcome back. I'm just going to... I turned around and I saw 26 for the Vikings and 9 for the Saints. The Vikings are dominating with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And, oh, my God. Goodness, Stephon Diggs looks great. Sam Bradford has three touchdowns and 300 yards. That's looking like a great call. His completion percentage is 83%. He's 24 for 29. That's amazing. And Adam Thielen now working in the slot. I had my questions about what his workload would look like, but he has eight catches on nine targets for 151 yards. My worries, my conscience is cleared on Adam Thielen. If he is available, go pick him up. If you have him, this could be a good time to sell high. We don't expect many 300-yard games from Sam Bradford, and they are playing the New Orleans Saints defense. But, wow, the Saints are just dominating. So, uh, I'm sorry, I just wanted to take that break. I know you guys will all see this Tuesday morning. You'll have all these responses, but... These Vikings are looking amazing. Looking at the running backs, obviously Kareem Hunt led the way with his 45 points, probably more based on your format. He started off the game with a fumble. Look, I nicknamed Kareem Hunt the cockroach based on the preseason action because watching him run, it reminded me of a cockroach because you have... A cockroach. You get this paper towel, you smush it, you feel like it's smushed, then you open the paper towel, and there the cockroach is scurrying off, unfathomed, untouched. Kareem Hunt is the same way. He seems to take on tacklers no matter what their size, and they can wrap him up, but he always seems to scream out. So Kareem Hunt led the way. He had five targets. He had a hunt, almost 100 yards in the air. He caught all five targets. He had four, 148 on the ground. We can't expect that to be a season-long thing. This might be the best game of his career, but he is a low-end running back one moving forward this season. Secondly, Tariq Cohen. Go out and grab him. He is worth the waiver claim. Jordan Howard, I mean, it showed on that drop that he had in the end zone to potentially win the game. Tariq Cohen is going to get work. He could be their target leader at the end of the season. Tariq Cohen, that rookie who, if you guys saw... Or if you guys didn't see, go check it out on Instagram. He makes back flip catches. The guy is just an unreal athlete, Tariq Cohen. This might also be his best game of the season, but 25 points was good for second among running backs. Mike Gizzlesley, he had 15 rushes. On He looked pretty bad, but he got three touchdowns. So he's going to be a high touchdown volume guy in that Patriots offense they're gonna get it right but 15 rushes is probably gonna be the high a high number for this season unless the Patriots are a grind it out second half big lead situation then next up we had 
three studs in Leonard Fournette, LaShawn McCoy, and Todd Gurley. We expected them to be studs. Just We expect them to be studs going forward. Ty Montgomery had a really nice game against Seattle. He found the end zone on a rush. And then they also targeted him four times. He caught all four. He's going to be a good middle-of-the-pack running back to all season long. That was a tough game for him, and he produced. Ezekiel Elliott had a strong game with 140 all-purpose yards. You're going to play him every week. As we said, he's likely to play all 16. He's an every-week starter. And then Jonathan Stewart had a nice game. It was against San Francisco. He had 18 rushes for 65 yards. And he found the end zone on a pass. That really surprised me that they didn't look to Christian McCaffrey in the passing downs. That's reason to, to hesitate and to kind of hold McCaffrey off to the second half of the year. But Jonathan Stewart is definitely a good DFS and uh, matchup variance play. Chris Thompson found the end zone. He only had three rushes. Um, let's see what his ownership is. I think he's the first low ownership guy since... Tariq Cohen, he should be owned in most leagues. Yeah, it's 61%. Tariq Cohen is only 75%. That's got to come up. And so Chris Thompson found the end zone. I don't think that's going to be a common occurrence. 61%, though, that should be higher. And let's move forward. Uh, Jordan Howard found the end zone. He only had 13 rushes for 52. I think that's going to be a pretty... A pretty common game for Jordan Howard, about 13 to 18 touches. He should see a little bit more yards, and he should find the end zone. Tariq Cohen is going to be heavily used in their passing attack, but don't don't fear. Like Jordan Howard is still going to get work. He's just not really going to be using the passing game, or he shouldn't be. Theo Riddick had a nice game. He's owned. He's he found the end zone. Uh, looking down the list a little bit, Mike Tolbert. Tolbert, sorry, Tolbert. He's Buffalo's RB2. I said that Buffalo's RB2 would outrush Mike Gillisley. The count right now is 41 or 42 for Tolbert, depending on the site, to 45. I like my chances in that bet. So he is only owned in 0.7% of leagues. He needs to be owned in 100% of leagues, especially by the LaShawn McCoy owner. That He's a handcuff. He's a great handcuff. Shady McCoy had 27 touches this game. There is no way he can keep up that without an injury for the whole season. So Mike Tolbert, you need to go out and get him. Devonta Freeman kind of worrisome with only 14 touches, but he found the end zone. Otherwise, not a very great game. 12 rushes for 37. LeGarrette Blount, LeGarrette Blount found the end zone, but he did so in, on a pass. I don't think that'll happen again in his career, so... LeGarrette Blunt definitely not a weekly starter. Uh, Lamar Miller is going to be a perpetual back-end RB2, although I do like his matchup this week, especially if, if uh, Deshaun Watson plays. Deshaun Watson will bring him up to a, a middle-of-the-pack middle running back, too, in my opinion. And then we had uh, Marlon Mack found the end zone. He should be owned. He's worth a waiver claim. I am very excited to see what they do with him with Andrew Luck back. He's only owned in 2.9% of leagues, so we let's let's go out and pick him up. He's definitely worth a waiver claim. Uh, looking at Charkandrick West, he's owned in 15% of leagues. He had one touch, so I'm not saying go out and grab Charkandrick West. He did score. It was a 21-yard untouched, 
or untouched 21-yard touchdown. Sorry about that. But 15% of the leagues. I think the Kareem Hunt should consider owning West, definitely in deeper leagues, probably not in the completely standard league. But the deeper leagues, you should go grab him. Uh, Kerwin Williams, he's owned in 1.3% of the leagues. Like we said, David Johnson went down, and like I said before, don't waste a waiver priority on him. That's going to be a running back by community. Moving forward, uh, Malcolm Brown owned in only 2.2% of leagues. He is the Todd Gurley backup, but based on what Todd Gurley was able to do behind that line, only 41 yards. I don't think Brown necessarily needs to be owned, but Buck Allen, he had 7.1 fantasy points. He had 21 touches. They were in a grinded-out situation up that whole second half by by a hefty margin, but he is potentially the number one waiver wire claim because of the uh, Danny Woodhead injury. Javorius Buck Allen will be the guy on passing downs while Woodhead is out. He is potentially the number one waiver claim, although I'm going Tariq Cohen before him because people will overreact, but Buck Allen, definitely a top waiver claim this week. Moving forward, we have owned in 0% of leagues, Andre Ellington. He's worth an ad in PPR leagues. I think he'll be heavily used in that passing attack. And guys that really disappointed you, Joe Mixon, Duke Johnson, uh, Le'Veon Bell, DeMarco Murray, you know, just stay the course with these guys. Don't overreact. Don't go out and try to trade a Le'Veon Bell for Kareem Hunt. But I will say this. If you are the Kareem Hunt owner, why not offer Kareem Hunt for Le'Veon Bell? They could The Le'Veon Bell owner could overreact, and I like that trade. I like Kareem Hunt for Le'Veon Bell. Give me that all day. Uh, a couple guys that disappointed. Bilal Powell, he only had 12 touches this game. Matt Forte had nine. That's an RBBC, so you want to kind of stay away from that. Tevin Coleman didn't really produce only 16 yards on the ground. He did have 42 in the air. But those, those 12 touches, that's what he's going to be. you got to play the matchup with Coleman. Isaiah Crowell, 33 on the ground, 33 in the air. That's a typical Isaiah Crowell game. Because Isaiah Crowell had 85% of his fantasy points on, what was it, like six carries last year. He's a boomer bust running back for the Browns. And then Lamar Miller, Devonta Freeman, we went over them. Say the course, mostly. Tariq Cohen, Buck Allen are the only running backs I'm going to say go out and use a waiver claim on. The rest of them just stay the course. And let's head to quarterbacks and finish up this week one recap. At quarterback, this was a really weird week. Alex Smith, QB1, unless Sam Bradford can has anything to say about that in this game, which I think he will. Four minutes and 50 seconds left in that one. And then Matthew Stafford had a great game on those four touchdowns. I looked it up. Matthew Stafford has had four-plus touchdowns in 10% of his games. So that's 11 in a 110-game career. So... That's not really likely to happen, but Stafford is a high yardage guy. He's the- Then Carson Wentz, Tyrod Taylor, and Marcus Mariota round out the top five. Derek Carr had a nice game, too, throwing two touchdowns. And then Deshaun Kaiser. 
he is going to be a QB1 this year. You can mark it down, basically. He's only owned in, this looks like 4.5% of leagues. No, that's, sorry, that's Jared Goff. Deshaun Kaiser owned in 7.2% of leagues. Both of those guys should be owned in two quarterback leagues. Deshaun Kaiser, I think he should be owned in all leagues. He's worth picking up in 7.2%. That's just not enough. He is going to have a high rushing upside this year, especially with the Browns, and especially if they do pass a lot. Mike Glennon, he was the number one streamer. He put out a pretty nice game. You wanted to see that comeback touchdown. That would have boosted him up to the quarterback 10 this week, but he was a nice little stream with 12 points. He actually finished better, better than Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins, Carson Palmer, and Russell Wilson. So Mike Glennon, little props to him. But that basically rounds out the quarterbacks. Let's look at uh, let's look at Russell Wilson. He had a really bad game. He only threw for 158 yards on 27 attempts. They're going to figure out a way to turn it around in Seattle. I don't think they'll ever get that running game back behind that offensive line. But their passing game, it will come around. Stay the course with Russell Wilson. No reason to move him or trade him. Uh, Deshaun Watson, I think he's worth picking up in two quarterback leagues, as well as Jacoby Brissett could be, I'm, nah, scratch that, disregard, Jacoby Brissett should not be owned, but let's look at Andy Dalton. On 31 attempts, Dalton threw four picks, 170 yards, no touchdowns, and he netted negative three fantasy points. I've preached all offseason about Andy Dalton being a late-round quarterback guy. I mean, Mike Clay liked him. J.J. Zacharyson liked him. You got to think he's going to turn it around this season. Don't overreact, but if you do want to drop Dalton, I'm not going to say don't do it after that performance. That was really bad. That was really, really bad. So we're going to finish off this show. I'm going to give you my top five waiver wire priorities outside of this top five i don't think anyone needs to be picked up with a waiver claim you can you can do a little wizardry my advice is probably don't go grab anyone unless you're the the jordan howard owner with tyreek cohen don't really you want to waste you don't want to waste that they're going to be big games from high-end running backs after injuries, you're, you're going to want to save your waiver priority for later in the season. But here are my top five waiver claims. Number one, Tariq Cohen on the Bears. He's going to play a big role in that passing game. I've said it a bunch of times on this podcast. Number two, Buck Allen with the, uh, the Woodhead injury. He is going to play a lot in their passing attack as well. Number three, Kenny Galladay, I'm overreacting to the big two-touchdown game a little bit, but he's number three. He's not going to put out that week every game. Nat Stafford's not going to throw for four touchdowns every game, but he is a high upside play, and definitely in keeper or dynasty leagues, he needs to be owned. Number four, Nelson Aguilar. I think he's going to get a high number of targets this year in the slot in Philadelphia. And number five, rounding it out, Cooper Cup. Those are your five waiver wire claims. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with the preview of week two. We'll recap these 
Monday night games, and we'll get you the DFS plays because I guarantee you I'm going to tell you to play DFS this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good week. We'll be back on Thursday.